Praise God, praise God. It's good to be in the presence of the Almighty God. A time of worship where we're reminded that he alone is worthy of all the praise. Amen. How many of you have been enjoying this series, Don't Forget to Remember? Amen. Oh, it's been a, it's been a beautiful one, and I'm so truly honored and humbled to be asked to do the the close of this series and you know when you're the closer it's not fun <laughs> be it in anything right be it in sales or whatever when you're the closer it's, it's tough to be that and all I kept thinking is and I remembered you Yanni because I know you and I have the same struggle it's like man I just hope they're not going to preach what I'm going to preach right but the Lord orchestrates everything that even if that's the case it's never the same right but God in his mercy has allowed me to bring this install, last installment. And it is, um, it's beautiful because what happens is that the Lord speaks to us. We can't deliver a message if he doesn't deliver it to us first. And he deals with us first in order to properly deliver it. Amen. And so God gave a command after they crossed over into the promised land to his people. A command that would serve as a memorial of what God did for the people of Israel. It was for them and for future generations. And Joshua 4, 4 through 8 reads, So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. And they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them with them to their camp where they put them down. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, once again for this opportunity. And I ask you, Lord, to take this vessel and use it for your glory, Lord. Sanctify every word, that every word that is said will be like a double-edged sword and will accomplish exactly what you wanted to accomplish, Lord. That whoever needs to hear it, whether it's today or in the future, Lord, that you will carry the message, Lord, and that it will do what you need it to do, Lord. I thank you already, Father, because I recognize that without you, I am nothing, Lord. But with you, I can do all things, Father. And so I surrender this time, Lord, asking you, Lord, to take control of the atmosphere, take control of every distraction, and that we will be able to concentrate, apply the word, and not be selfish with it and share it, Lord. We give you the honor and the glory. And together the church says, amen, amen, and amen. So I have a question for you. How many of you, when you go on vacation, love collecting souvenirs? How many, right? Well, for the most part, my family will tell you that the kind of souvenirs that I like to collect are not the kind you get in a store. It's a, it's a, little, it's a little thing that I've started doing, and it started years ago, and I, I, don't, I can't really pinpoint exactly when it started, but I, I think it happened when we started traveling um, to places where we can do a little bit of a hike scenario. And when that happened, I felt compelled. There was just something that compelled me to want to pick up stones. So 
I would pick up stones from wherever we were. Like I just had to carry it. And Randy, I remember the first time I said, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Like, what, 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 what are you putting in your pocket? I'm like, me? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I, I just had this compulsion to, to pick up stones. And so if you come to my house, you'll see random stones all over the place. And it, and it may look like, like this, may look like a, I mean, I, th I thought this was a fantastic one, just, just for the record. I mean, it looks like a paperweight you can buy at a fancy store, right? But no, this, this I collected because I was like, I'm looking for the perfect, looking like a paperweight kind of stone. And, and I found it and I grabbed it. And let's just say that I may have done it in a national park when you're not supposed to do those kind of things. But thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But it's funny because for me, it kind of it represents a season, right, in my life, a, a place and a season in my life. And obviously, it's not your typical conversation starter, but, but if you come to my house and you and you, you look at me like, so, so what does this mean, Hilda? What, what, what's up with this stone? Why do, you, why do you have this on your desk? Or why is it sitting on the counter? Like, what is that? And for me, it's just kind of like, this is me. Like, my personality is that way. I like to be original. Um, you have all seen Michelle, right? <laughs> this is a byproduct of that. I just, I don't like to be put in a box. And I don't like, I love to have the freedom to just be me. And I don't want the typical souvenir. I don't know why. Like, this is me. Is this who I am? And so as we started doing this series, the Lord immediately brought this to my recollection of the fact that I have this need to pick up these random stones. And so I knew what I was going to talk about. I knew we were going to mention this. And so I've entitled today's message, Stack your stones of remembrance. Stack your stones of remembrance. In Joshua chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we see Joshua telling the people to consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. You see, there comes a time to listen, and there comes a time to move. I'm gonna say that again. There comes a time to listen, and there comes a time to move. But God was telling his people to do both, to not let time pass between so that they could accomplish all that he wanted to happen. And so once they, they, they got there, they listened to what God said, and they moved. God began to operate. And then, then be thankful. And then reflect. And then remember what he has done. You know, the interesting thing is that there actually are two sets of stone memorials. It's not just the one that we read about. And this was not by accident. One was set, set up in the middle of the Jordan River with the priest where they stood with the Ark of the Covenant, and the other was set up at Gilgal, showing where they had been and remember what he had done, right? And where he, and where they are now. A memorial so that they could remember that God had been with them and brought them through impossible times. Impossible times. You see, when they crossed the Jordan, this was not a regular season. It was during a season where the banks of the river were at a flood stage. But when they crossed, the Lord allowed them to cross safely on dry land. So obviously something happened. We are in flood season. If anybody's ever experienced any type of flooding, I'm looking at some people on the, in the congregation that I know that you have, right? You know that it takes a long time for that ground to dry up. 
in the natural. And yet, we see that they cross safely on dry land. And why? Why this miracle? Because it was to be an encourage for, encouragement for them and a marker to remember. So as I was preparing for this lesson, the Lord really started to pull everything together. And for me, one of the things that the Lord showed me you have to understand, I've been in some form of, of ministry for, a, for over 30 years because even before I, I married my, my husband, Randy, <laughs> we we're now 37, 38, I, I don't know, I, keep, I can't keep track, years married. Even before marrying him, I was doing youth ministry at my church. And so I have been in some form of ministry for a very long time. And I know that the word discipleship is tossed around a lot in church. But it's not just about what you do. It's not just about how you walk. And, and obviously those things are important. You have to, you have to teach the word and, and guide the, the children of God so that they understand, right? But there's also something very interesting in discipleship that should be taught, and it's what I want to call a transfer element. There's a transfer principle in discipleship, or at least there should be. There should be this transfer occurring in discipleship. And so I want you to sit with me for a while as I unpack this, as the Lord shared it with me. You see, we, we teach or disciple the next generation so that they too, right? So that they too will pass their faith to others. And that's what it's about. And sadly, when it doesn't happen, when we are not taught that discipleship also means transferring of our faith, something very tragic happens the faith transfer to the next generation doesn't happen. And that, my friends, should keep us up at night. Because <laughs> as I look at the young people here, I think we can't miss this because if we miss this, we've missed everything. And so we need to encourage the next generation to get their own stones to get their own stones of remembrance because of their relationship of, with God, not just because they're picking back on ours, right? They need to experience. We talked about this right before the service uh, started. I talked about how when you encounter the living God, you should never be the same, right? So they need, to, they need to experience it for themselves. But in order to do this, they need to flex their own faith muscles. Can I hear an amen? amen. They need to flex their own faith muscles. Because only as we disciple the next generation can we fix a broken culture. Can we fix a broken culture only as we give them permission, right? Encourage them for their own, for their own sake. You know, the number 40 has major biblical significance. All you have to do is, when you leave here today, do a, do a search of the number 40 in the Bible. I'm telling you, there's a tons, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, tons of examples of the number 40. So obviously there's something being taught here, right? And so it's to, what it means is that it's a time of transition. Every single one of those stories, you see that it's a time of transition. So Jesus is in the wilderness for how long? 
40 days as he transitions into public ministry. There were 40 years in the wilderness of preparation before Israel was ready to go into the promised land, right? A generation in the Bible is, is spoken in terms of 40 years. So when you, you enter another gener generation, when you enter 40, and the next generation is coming along. And so we read that Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years for them to learn faith. 40 years to have habits corrected. 40 years to be humbled. 40 years to be trained. It was now time to cross over at the end of the 40th year. And what a miracle crossover it was. Because they crossed the Jordan. But they didn't just cross the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan during flood season. During flood season. I think it's pretty obvious that if there's any time you don't want to cross the Jordan, it's during flood season. You want to look at the weather and you're like, well, this is not a good time to do this, Lord. Are you, are you sure? Right? Why? Why? Obviously, it's the most dangerous time. Uh, a lot of problems can arise. The likelihood of drowning are pretty high. You know, like it's, it, was, it was the time when human capacity would be at its lowest. Oh, how many of us have been there? In flood season, when our human capacity is at its lowest. We don't have enough time for me to mention mine. <laughs> many, many seasons, many flood seasons, right? But it was then that God tells him to do it. And I want to encourage you today. Because I want you to know that God does some of his best work during flood season. Some of his best work. All you have to do is look at the Bible and see story after story when they've been placed in impossible scenarios, impossible situations. And in this series, we had all of the, the ministers and pastors mention story after story. And if I passed the mic to you, you would give me story after story of when God walked you through, through flood season, right? When the waters are too high and the problems are too great and the needs are too daunting. In other words, when it is beyond you and when we have no choice but to say, you are God and I am not. And only you can do this, Lord. He makes it hard on purpose, I believe. And he does it so that we can see that it's not of us, us trying to manipulate situations or change things or, or move things in our agenda or, or, or do things on. No, it's, it's, it's God that he wants you to understand that there is only one God and you and I are not it. The same thing happens because you see God has a pattern that if you learn to if you learn to decipher it you begin to see this own pattern in your own life not just in the biblical stories but when we look at Israel in particular the same thing happened when Israel crossed the Red Sea right they had Pharaoh coming to from one end and then they had the Red Sea on the other they were Literally, in a catch-22. And unless God shows up and does something supernatural, they ain't making it. And unless God does something supernatural in our circumstance, we ain't making it. So today, if you're in a flood season, don't, don't all raise your hands at once. You're in good company, and it may seem like this looks really tough. 
But I'm here to tell you that it may be precisely what God wants and what is necessary for the next thing. It may be the impeccable season for the almighty God to demonstrate exactly how almighty he is. And I pray that encourages you because your human capacity is at its lowest. My human capacity is at its lowest. I've tried it all, Lord. I, I, Lord, you know, you know, I have done it all. And here I am still dealing with this thing, whatever that is, fill in the blank. Or here it is that I am still uh, um, asking what, what's the next step. Or here it is, and the Lord's like, yeah, yeah, but I needed you to get to that point where you realize without me, you can't do nothing. So God tells the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant, which we know is the word of God that contained the Ten Commandments, the word of God, and to tell the priest to put their foot in the bank of the Jordan. But why? This is very interesting. Have you, have you, have you thought of this? Like, here it is, flood season. God's telling them to take the ark and to put their foot in the bank of the Jordan. This is what I believe based on the patterns that I have seen God, not only in scripture, but in my own life. You see, God wants to see before anything, before he does anything in flood season, he wants to see you walking by faith. He doesn't want to see you talking by faith. He doesn't want to see you feeling by faith, whatever that means. He wants to see you moving by faith. Recently, I, I read a book that shook my faith to the core. And that doesn't, very, that doesn't happen very often for me. There are not many books that I can point to that have had such a profound influence on my life that I begin to analyze everything and to say, okay, Lord, obviously you got my attention. And that was the case with the book, a book called Wild Goose Chase. Reclaim the Adventure of Pursuing God by Mark Batterson. And I, I really, you know, if you're in a state in your life with your walk with the Lord where you need that shaking up to happen, I really encourage this book. It's, it is it's powerful. And so I'm going to read a part of the book because It'll be easier to read it than to try to explain because <laughs> I could be here for a bit because I'm, I'm so, you know, when you get a recent revelation, like you just want to get it out and I don't want to, I don't want to do that to you guys. So in this book, it says, when Christianity turns into a noun, it becomes a turnoff. Can I say that again? When Christianity turns into a noun, it becomes a turnoff. Christianity was always intended to be a verb. And more specifically, I'm looking at Tyler, our English professor, an action verb. The title of the book of Acts says it all, doesn't it? It's not the book of ideas. It's not the book of theories or words. It's the book of Acts. And he goes on to say, if the 21st century church said less and did more, maybe we would have the same kind of impact the first century church did. Ouch. You see, and he goes on to say, some of us live our lives as we expect God to say, well thought good and faithful servant. Well said, good and faithful servant. But God isn't going to say 
either of those things. There's only one commendation, and it is a byproduct of pursuing God-ordained passions, and it's well done, good and faithful servant. Like I read that, and I was like, it just, woo. It confirmed a lot of things for me. Because you know, if we're honest, can we be honest? We like to tell God, why don't you part the waters and then I'll step in. Am I the only one that, that's guilty of this? Okay, good. I'm glad that now you, you all have to pray for me. Because I have been guilty of that all the time. Lord, Lord, show me. Show me, show me my next step, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for you to part the... Right? They want... I want my feet not to get wet. Lord... But it was a spiritual test. Did they have enough faith to get their feet wet? Then, if we're willing, amen, if we're willing to take that first step of faith, then he would miraculously part the Jordan River. Guys, this is what God does over and over and over through all all of history of the church, be it the first century or even now. This is what he expects. The name of our church is Word of Faith. But God blocked the water from flowing down the Jordan River so that now God walled them off so that the water would stop flowing. That was a miracle in and of itself. Can I hear an amen? But the Bible says that they crossed over on dry land. Not wet land, dry land. It had to be dry. Because they had to be able to walk over and not get their feet muddy. Where they could roll their wheelbarrows with their possessions, right? And not get stuck in the mud. Where their horses could walk and run across and not get stuck. So now, in waters, it is now land that for years and centuries had been wet becomes dry. And it was all in flood season. It's then that God makes the command and tells Joshua to get 12 representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel to go back into the now dry Jordan and pick up, not a stone like this, a boulder stone that they had to, the Bible says they carried it on their shoulders. I don't even know how far they walked with this thing. Can you imagine? Why? What is the point of that? God wanted to build a memorial, a touchstone. He wanted to build stones of remembrance so that they would never forget what was done and who did it. God says, I... I want you never to forget that the only way you got where you are from where you came from is because I brought you through during flood season. God says, I don't want you to get conceited. I don't want you to think it's by your own power or your own might. God wants to have a, us to have a 
perpetual reminder that the only reason you are where you are today versus where you were is because he supernaturally intervened in your situation. And as you're sitting here listening to this message, I pray the Holy Spirit, like a, like a film, will just show you flood season after flood season after flood season that he delivered you and me. And he did this because he knows that we are all prone to forget. And while you may forget a lot of things, right? I forget, where did I put my keys? Where, where, where did I put my, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Randy, can you please call my phone? Like we, we, we may forget a lot of things, but what you don't want to forget is God. And so in Deuteronomy 4.9, we're told these words. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Then in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12, we read, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied... Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then look at what Deuteronomy 8.11 says. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Verse 14 says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It's a warning. You better not forget. I better not forget. Amen? You better watch yourself because it's easy to forget. It's easy to think you're all, you're, you know, you're your own source. I made this deal happen. I made this happen. It's easy to think it's all on you. It's not. It's easy to think it's about you from you, through you, and because of you. But it's not. It's easy when you've gone from nothing to something to forget how you got there. It's easy to forget what it's like when you only had a handful of possessions. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and God broke through. When you can't, went from barely getting by to prosperity. It's easy to forget, and God knows this, and that's why he warns it in Scripture. If he hadn't opened the door and paved the way and set it in place in motion, you would be in a much different place. And so the Lord knows for sure I would. It's easy to forget. And so why... It's why he warns us not to. Where would we be? <laughs> we just sang this today. Where would we be if God didn't protect us in that situation? Deliver us from that situation. Amen? Amen. You know what the beauty of God being your only source you want to lean in? I'm going to give you a secret. The beauty of God being your only source is that nobody can own you. Nobody. 
Nobody can, can take credit and say, you know, because nobody is your source. So he told Israel to circumcise their sons and every generation after that, he told them to remember the Passover, right? Because this was so significant. He's like, remember the Passover. And then in the New Testament, Jesus tells us to do communion and remember him. Amen? Amen. But look what Psalm 145.4 says. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. We are supposed to have transfer, transferable faith. Transferable faith. If my faith isn't easy to transfer to the next, something is wrong with my faith. Because they don't have the faith yet. You can't blame it on them. We are to have transferable faith. Faith that is easy to transfer. It's supposed to be transferred from one generation to the next generation. I've given this a lot of thought. And I've come to this conclusion. Do you know why we're in the chaos that we are in our culture? I'll tell you why. Because there's been a huge transfer problem, Brother Lewis. Amen. Thank you for that amen. <laughs> right? There has been a massive transfer problem. We have a generation of young people who have not had their faith transferred by their mothers and their fathers, be it their literal parents or be it mother and father figures in their life that act as mentors. How many of us have seen that? I, I was the first that came to faith in my family, so I didn't get the faith transferred from my parents. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the Padron family who took me Sunday after Sunday, picked me up and took me to church and then took me on Tuesdays and then took me on Fridays. Not once, not twice, but for years. But what happens when faith is not memorialized? What happens when you don't give young people enough to even ask the question, what do these stones mean? What do these stories mean? What do these pictures mean? If we don't give them enough to ask. Brother Tyler, before the service, spoke about how during a season that he wasn't walking, he was in a season of rebellion as a young, young man, how God miraculously saved him from a shark attack. And we came to the conclusion that he must have stopped the current, or like, hello, for that to happen. But if we don't have stories like that to tell, either to our physical children or to those that God will put and trust us to speak to, we have, in essence, dropped the baton. I'll tell you what happens. Judges 2.10 happens. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals because there was no transfer of faith. The next time you turn on the news and you start seeing what's happening across our nation 
It feels like, a, like, like America is disintegrating and our cities are falling apart. And you ask yourself, why is there racial chaos? Why is there cultural chaos, class chaos, political chaos? I'll tell you why. We have a generation of young people who don't have their faith from their ancestors. Don't blame, don't blame the system that we live under. This is the church's problem. Are we the church? Okay, so it's our problem. I really believe that the success of the church at large requires a transfer. A living faith about a living God to the next generation. They went to idolatry because you know what? You're going to worship something because we were all created to worship. You're going to worship something, be it money, be it prestige, be it education. I don't care. You, you name it. You're going to worship something. And so they went to idolatry. I say, it's not too late. It's not too late, thank God, for this generation. The truth is, let's present them with the living, all-powerful, mighty God by sharing our stones of remembrance. And let's just see what God will do. Most of us want God to provide a miraculous sign before we take that step of faith. We don't want to get our feet wet. We want to wait until he parts the water. And although sometimes God in his graciousness will give us some signs, enough of a sign to maybe take that little baby first step, right? Sometimes he does that. But you know what? More times than not, he doesn't do that first. Why? Because he wants to see if we will have enough faith to make the first move. If you want to see God move, you need to move. Because faith doesn't follow signs. Signs follow faith. Do we, do we have enough faith to take the first next step? Not just talk about it, right? Spend weeks deliberating, should we take this next step? Just take the step. He's got us. And the other thing that I've noticed is that the tougher the decision and the reason why we're like, I know, Lord, you've been telling me this. You've been, I know, Lord, I, I know, I know, I know. But, Lord, you know, and we, and we struggle. The tougher the decision to make the step and just take the step, the more potential impact they will have. And so... I've come to the conclusion, if you want to see God move, you need to make a move. Mark 16, 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. The disciples made a quality decision. They decided we're going to go preach. He told us to go to Jerusalem and all of Samaria and to the, the, the uttermost part of the world. This is what God said. So you know what? I'm a, we're going to go. And that decision to preach everywhere was not an easy decision. He wasn't telling them to go to some spa mission trip. It cost them, many of them, their lives. And it wasn't just like they died of old age. No. But today, that decision 
because they took that first step and were obedient, guess what? We are still reaping the rewards of that. And I, for one, am so grateful. But what happens when the sacred becomes routine? When the miracles that were performed fade into the background and become, we become comfortable. You know, you come to my house and if you come to my house often enough, you don't even see the stones anymore. I, I walk past them, I'll, I'll pick them up and dust around, but I don't even... I don't even go. I allow myself to go back and remember what that season was like, Hilda. What happens when it becomes, the sacred becomes routine? When we become comfortable. I tell you what happens. We begin to lose the joy of our salvation. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes, but I promise you the Lord really stepped on my toes first. All of a sudden, the transfer of faith to the next generation takes a serious backseat because now we are just comfortable. And all of a sudden, sharing the gospel, evangelism. Can you, can you explain exactly what is evangelism, Hilda? All of a sudden, it's not a, doesn't have a priority. I believe that if we're going to fix this mess that we've all participated in, one shape or form, as the body of Christ, I believe we need to give the Holy Spirit permission to shake things up. Because you know what? I like routines like everybody else. I like to wake up at a certain time, have my coffee, and I have it with my, with my keto cookie. And I, you know, I, you know, I like to you know, read my Bible, spend my time with the Lord, pray, and then I go to work, and then at a certain time I want my break, all, all the stuff we do. But when we make the Christian walk a routine, it becomes a noun, and it becomes a turnoff because it was never designed to be a noun. It is a what? Action verb. So in closing, I ask you, when was the last time you got your feet wet? Can you name one God-sized dream that you are walking in faith now that it makes you, ooh, shaking your boots? What do I, I don't know, Lord. That's, you're asking, I don't know if I could do that, Lord. Yeah, I know you can't do it. <laughs> That's why I'm asking you to take a step of faith because I got you. Do you have a God vision for your life that has you playing offense spiritually? Or have you become so comfortable that the last miracle you can name happened eons ago? If we are not living our faith boldly by taking steps of faith, that makes us uncomfortable and we don't get stretched and we have a hard time passing the baton of our faith to the next generation, we have to ask ourselves. Let's go ahead and stand. You know, having, having done youth ministry for many, many years, and it looked different in different seasons. I am so grateful. I, you have no idea how grateful I am to have had the honor to have played a tiny role in passing the faith baton.
But that was a long time ago, Hilda. And it was, it was great. And today I can see the fruit of it with many being in ministry in some capacity. That was a long time ago. And even in this current season of what God is doing in our lives with, with Fit to Serve, I've told my family this. I'll be honest, it's become easy. It's become a routine. I, I can do it with my eyes closed. That's a problem. I believe we need to show this generation that our God is alive and well and still confirming his word with signs and wonders. You know what I discovered about this generation? Maybe, maybe it's because in particular the millennials, because it's who we, we had the privilege with Randy to minister for, for a length of time. And I consider myself a, <laughs> a little bit of a millennial because they rubbed off on me. I, I like the way they think. I like the way they, they're out of the box, their creativity. I, I, I get them. I totally understand them. I get them. But what I've noticed is that this generation in particular is enamored with things they can't explain. Have you noticed that? They're enamored with the unusual the strange. I'm not going to name a, uh, a particular series, but I, I want to say we've probably all seen it, right? Strange. The unusual. And if you don't believe me, just go to Netflix and do a, a, do a quick scroll. And you're going to be like, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Ooh, that's weird. That's, that's strange. Ooh, what is that? Here's a thought. What if we gave them something to sink their teeth into and not just a bunch of theories that attempt to explain the unusual? I have a problem with this. I have a problem when we spend more time trying to explain and rationalize the unusual instead of saying, hey, come in experience God, let the Holy Spirit mess things up. That's power. That's real power. That is not counterfeit power. And I don't know about you, but I don't have time for counterfeit nothing. Clock is ticking on my time here. It's, it's, it's a very sad state of affairs when we're spending more time with theories and, you know, well, this is why this happened, and this is why, you know, and this is why, you know, you, you know that's all good. And there's a time and a place for that. Please don't misunderstand. But there's also a time when you invite people to experience God. When the youth used to come to, to our church on Friday nights when we were a part of this. I prepared my lesson and I, you know, I'd be ready for all that. But I would always tell, I said, look, we don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And the Holy Spirit is in charge here. And I would tell them, you invite your friends and don't you, don't you dare be ashamed of the Holy Spirit's power. You let him come in, show up, and show off. Because you know what? That's what they're really looking for. They don't want to play church. They don't want a, a routine that they could. They want to experience something real. And that is why they're so fascinated with the unusual. You want, you want to bring, bring somebody who's demon-possessed to the altar, lay hands on him, and see, and see what happens. That ain't, that, that's power being manifested God taking over and releasing a person from addiction, from who knows what. That's what I want. 
I believe this generation is starving from some good old-fashioned gospel truth. Unadulterated. Going back to basics. Just tell them, tell them the truth and don't be ashamed of it. Invite God into the picture and let him just do whatever he knows how to do. Because you know what? He knows what he's doing. Unless us. Unlike us. There comes a time to listen and there comes a time to move. And I believe once again, God is telling his people not to let time pass between. So that he can accomplish all that he wants to happen. Yeah. Let's be grateful. Let's reflect. Let's always, always remember. But let's also provoke this generation to holy jealousy. You know, some of you know that my brother has been living in my house for many years. And that Matthew, our son, hasn't been exactly walking with God, but he's not, he's not in the world either. Like, he's just there. <laughs> but God has been doing something in both of their hearts. And it's beautiful because I see the, I see the flames flickering. Where Matthew will come in and, and say something that is so faith-filled. And I'm like, boy, you don't even know. And my brother, my brother literally told me, Hilda, I have seen what God has done in your life. And in Randy's life. I remember the wilderness and now you're in this promised land and I want the same thing. You know what? And Matthew is saying the same thing. Because I do believe that we can provoke them into jealousy. Holy jealousy. Where they're like, man, put me in coach, put me in coach, right? You know, that excitement of wanting to, you know. But to do that, we must take risks. If we're not taking risks, is our faith even activated here? We must get uncomfortable with our God-given goals, otherwise we fail this generation. And not just this generation, but the one to come. If we become too busy being passive and too comfortable in our routines, I believe that God wants to put down markers. He wants us to put down some markers so that we can point to our children those of you who have grandchildren, and I speak in faith in my future grandchildren, to say, this is what God did for your mom and your dad. And this is what he did for our family. And this is what he wants to do for you. So they know to look forward to something themselves. So when they're believing for a miracle, they're like, I know. I know that I know that I know that I know that if God did it for them, he will do it for me too. So that they don't lose the joy of our salvation that comes when we pass the baton. Because we know. If we, if we drop the baton, 
we lose the race. So let's win the race for this generation by passing our stones of remembrance. So I thank you, Tyler, for sharing that story. And I know I've personally heard it before, but there's others who hadn't. The passing of our stones and, and teaching them how to collect their own stones and stack their own stones of remembrance. Amen? So let's pray. Today, if you hearing of this supernatural God with supernatural power who continues to show up and show off during flood seasons. But you don't know who he is personally. You, you've never had somebody transfer the faith to you. It will be my honor to, to invite you to come on the most powerful, most important ride of your life. <laughs> One where you allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants, however he wants. Because from the foundation of the earth, he already had these plans in place. And you don't want to miss out. And if that's you, I'm going to ask the church to pray with me. And just say, dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. That I am so messed up. That I need to be washed by this blood that you've sacrificed on the cross. And I want to accept what you paid for me. And I want to have a true encounter, an encounter that changes me forever, that not changes only me, but that will change generations to come because of my decision. And so I say, Lord, come inside. Holy Spirit, come inside. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and take control of the reins of my life. Or maybe, or maybe you're, you're in a season of a flood season that you're, you're, you're in that catch 22. You're like, you know, no, I'm surrounded here. I'm, I'm just like, wow. And you're wondering, and maybe somewhere along the line, you're honest enough to say, I forgot, Lord. I forgot to remember. I forgot to transfer my faith. I, I, I forgot, Lord. I miserably forgot, Lord. Would you, will you forgive me, Lord? Would you, from this moment on, will you mark this as a, a change in my life that I will never be the same again when I gave you permission to be my Lord and my Savior and to, to take me out of the routine, the cage of routine that I box myself in. If that's you today, be it that you're wanting to ask Christ for the first time or, or you need a, like I tell my children, a come to Jesus moment, <laughs> where you just recognize that it's you, it's you, it's you in the need of prayer. Amen? I invite you to come to these altars. It would be my honor to pray with you. I'm going to tell you, 
I'm, I am too in a flood season, in a catch-22 position. But I've decided that the transfer of faith to the next generation is so much more important than my comfortableness, <laughs> than keeping my routine or, or keeping things chill, no drama. I have decided to, to break out and say, Lord, I don't know what it's going to be this next season, but I give you permission to do whatever you want to do. That's you. It would be my honor to pray with you and to tell you I'm, I'm with you because I am right there with you. We're going to keep these altars open. Like Sandra said, they are always open. And continue to pray. But if, if you're good and you don't, you don't, you don't want to come forward for prayer or you figured this thing out and you're, you're like, you're doing like a fantabulous job. <laughs> transferring your faith and you're like I, I'm good and praise God I, we dismiss you and, and you're free to go but otherwise I'm going to spend a little more time here in the altar and I'm going to ask the Lord to continue to work in my heart to ignite that passion that I once had Because I'm...